we're going to start that tonight. And just to, uh, the, the first set of lessons, and we're going to generally be patterning the, the life groups after the, the sermon series this, um, this season. And the, it's going to be about the story of heaven for the most part. Now, we don't, we don't require life groups to study this, but that, this is our general curriculum. It's going to be about the story of heaven, and there's a study guide and some videos and things that are, that are developed and led by Max Lucado. And, and this will be the material for most of the groups. Um, I'd like to introduce our leaders again today for those of you who might have forgotten who the groups are or, or, or where they meet, and I'll give you their time. So, so I'm going to just go through the groups pretty quickly. I'm going to take my glasses off so I can see. <clears throat> um, I'm going to go through these groups pretty quickly um, and, and have, have the leaders stand and, and look around. If you're not going to a group, look at these leaders and, and remember who they are and try to talk to them because I'm confident that if you try to, uh, if you attend a group, Try a few, see what you like, but you'll find a dynamic that you're comfortable with and that, that enriches you in your, in your life as a Christian. I mean, it's, it's done wonders for me throughout the years, and I think it can do wonders for you. So I encourage you to, to find a group and, and get involved, and, and, and you'll find a place that you belong. I'm, I'm going to start with the, the group that meets here um, at the building at 5 p.m. at night, and it's led by um, Frank Hickel, Jeff Pauls, and Bob Long. So would you... You three, um, please stand up. And any, any of the, look for any of those folks for any questions about this group. And there's another group that uh, tonight is going to be meeting at, at Robin Lee's house. Uh, that's at 5 p.m., and that would be led by Robin Lee, Joe Phillips, and Gary McBrayer. So, folks, please stand up if you're available. And uh, uh, please remain standing for everybody to be called. I'd like just to, at the end, I'd like to um, make sure everyone sees the number of people that we have involved in leading these life groups. Um, the third group I want to mention is uh, led and hosted by Craig and Ann Nesbitt. Now, this one meets at Craig's house and has a, ser- uh, a service perspective to it, and they're meeting at, at I think it's 530. Is that – excuse me? Okay. <clears throat> All right, and that one's at, at Craig's house. And then we also have a group led by um, Randy Moore, um, Chad Apney, and Kevin Hunter, and that one meets at, at Randy's house at 6.15. Now, that one has a, late, a little bit later start time than what you're accustomed to because that gives uh, parents of the youth the chance to, to get their kids dropped off at 6 and get to that group. So if you have youth, that's a great option for you to, uh, to – you can go get your – you can drop your kids off, go to that group, and then they'll try to be finished around the time so that you can go back and pick up your, uh, your youth after they're finished. <clears throat> No, Alan and Sharon Ritchie have a group that's, that's a little different. It meets at Thursday, on Thursdays at 645, just to, for people that need a, need a, a shot in the arm during the, during the week and, and don't have the, the opportunity to come on a, on a Sunday evening. This one's a little bit different, and it's a great option. And we also have Wes Fagan and, and Sharon Fagan. Their group meets directly after services here. So it's sort of like the, the fellowship Sundays, except that you could do that every weekend. And, and you can do that with their group. Um, and finally, I have Jerry and Arlene Miller. Um, their group meets at Jerry's house at 4 p.m. on Sunday. So you, can, you could um, attend that one as well. And we also, for the youth, they're not to be left out. Uh, Peter Hunt has a group, and it, it, it kind of works hand-in-hand with, um, with uh, Chad and Randy's. And it meets at 6 p.m. at, at Peter's, uh, Peter and Lisa's house. So, um, uh, so just look around you. This is, the num- this is just the leaders for our life groups. So each of these groups has a... A core of people that come every week, and they do many different things. They sing. Some of them have meals. Some of them, they, they pray together. They talk about things, and you, you'll get an opportunity to have conversations and discussions about the Bible and about being a Christian that you would not normally have in a, in a service or even in a Bible class. So I really encourage you, if you're not partaking of this wonderful thing that you start um, now, and any of, these, any of these folks will be able to, to welcome you into their, their groups. And, and that's all I have. Please be seated, those of your leaders, and and I hope this this life group season kicks off with a with a bang. And on that, uh, I want to lead into a, an opening prayer this morning. So, you please bow with me, dear Father. We are so grateful for this this time that you've given us. This beautiful weather that we have today, after after a lot of rain and, and such, and we thank you for bringing us all here safely to this building, to this place where we can meet and enjoy one another's company and, and be uplifted and turn our eyes to you in a, 
in a way that we we may not do the rest of the of, of our time and, and father we're so thankful for this worship we're, we thank you for the 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 ability of, of making music that you've given us with our voices and the beauty of those sounds that that you um, allow us to hear as we as we sing and raise our voices in praise to you we thank you Lord for the <clears throat> for the gifts of of our ministers who who can get up here and and speak and and provide interesting and informative um, lessons that that help us <clears throat> and we pray that you'll be with Alan today as he does that we thank you father for all the leaders of this congregation the elders who who, who plan <clears throat> everything for us and keep things in line and help to make sure that that we are pleasing to you as a group father we ask that you will be with us as we meet today that you will help us to grow closer to you <clears throat> and one another and father we we pray that you will be with those who who aren't able to be here those who are sick or or out of town or or for whatever reason and we pray that you will lift them up that you will strengthen them and that you will give them what they need to to continue life living a living a good example and a reflection of your glory in their lives lord we thank you most of all for eternal life for the forgiveness of sins that, that you didn't have to, to give us, but you've offered us nonetheless. And we thank you for the ultimate sacrifice that was paid for, for this forgiveness, even though we could never deserve what was given to us. In Christ's name we pray, amen. Oh, in the grave he Supper, I would like to uh, talk this morning about the future. In Revelation, we see a glimpse of the future. John sees the marriage feast of the Lamb that is ready for his bride, the church, to come. There will be a day when all who are faithful to Christ will be gathered together in heaven for a joyous celebration. For this final marriage to Christ, which will be marked by a glorious feast that we cannot imagine here upon earth. Knowing this future promise that runs throughout the teachings of the New Testament, we see references to it in the institution of the Lord's Supper. Jesus calls attention to the future time when he will sit down with his people and celebrate 
the feast and the kingdom of God in heaven. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper in this world, we should not only look to the past, but look to the future that is going to be fulfilled at some time. We experience the inauguration of the kingdom of Christ's life, death, and resurrection, but we still are waiting for the final future that is to occur later. When we celebrate the Lord's Supper, we see that it's not just a sign of what has already been happened or how it already has been done, but we also see a sign what will happen in the future. This, in this way, the Lord's Supper is a foretaste of heaven. One day we will see the bridegroom in all his glory and we will see the church offered to him in its perfection. That's the future orientation of the Lord's Supper. Father, we just thank you for Christ coming to this world to provide salvation for us. We also want to remember what is in store for us in the future, what he has done for us that we will enjoy and participate as time goes on. Father, we ask that as we partake of this bread, which represents your son's body, may we do so in a manner that will be pleasing in your sight. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. On his arrival, Jesus found that Lazarus had already been in the tomb for four days. Now Bethany was less than two miles from Jerusalem, and many Jews had come to Martha and Mary to comfort them in the loss of their brother. When Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed at home. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here, my brother would not have died, but I know that even now God will give you whatever you ask. Jesus said to her, Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the resurrection at that last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Again, Father, we come before you. We ask your blessings on this uh, fruit of the vine, which represents your son's blood that is shed on the cross. May we partake of it in a manner that will be pleasing in your sight. We ask that as a result of this sacrifice that we have hope for eternal life. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Jesus said to her, 
Your brother will rise again. Martha answered, I know he will rise again in the day at that last resurrection. Sorry, in the resurrection at the last day. Jesus said to her, I am the resurrection and the life. The one who believes in me will live even though they die. And whoever lives by believing in me will never die. Do you believe this? Yes, Lord, she replied. I believe that you are the Messiah, the Son of God, who is to come into the world. It's the time of the year that uh, the church is in a discernment process of the budget. Uh, we need to try to remember that uh, we're going to base our budget on what is given during this time frame. So if uh, uh, you'll be sure aware of that so that uh, we'll know kind of the plan for the activities that we need to be involved with and, and so forth. So let's go to our Father in prayer. Father, we just thank you for all the things that you do for us, the many blessings that you provide for us. We ask that you will watch over this congregation. We pray that you will guide it in a way that it will spend these monies in a way that will produce service and, and produce uh, souls for you in, this, in the kingdom world of this, this world here. We ask that you will uh, bless the ones that give, help us to use uh, this uh, monies wisely, and uh, we just thank you for the blessings that you allow us to have. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. It's time for our kids' gift, and you can come forward. And then after you're, afterwards, you're dismissed for uh, stage two and the praise kids. Let's stand for this song. <clears throat> My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I cannot trust the sweetest rain, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. On Christ the solid rock I stand, all other ground is sinking sand. All other ground is sinking sand. His hope is covenant, 
I will be reading from Acts chapter 4, verses 8 through 13. Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them, Rulers and elders of the people, if you are being called to account today for an act of kindness shown to a man who was lame and are being asked how he was healed, then know this, you and all the people of Israel, it is by the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, whom you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead, and this man stands before you healed. Jesus is... The stone you builders, the builders rejected, which has become the cornerstone. Salvation is found in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given to mankind by which he must be saved. When they saw the courage of Peter and John and realized that they were unschooled, ordinary men, they were astonished, and they took note that these men had been with Jesus. Jesus makes all the difference, doesn't he? What a powerful statement by two people who, one of which had denied Jesus, not just kind of an offhanded denial, not just kind of, oops, I denied him, but, but denied him directly three specific times, even calling curses down on himself if he was lying. John, we might say, well, John didn't, didn't deny Jesus, but in reality, John was just like all the rest of them who disappeared from Jesus' side and his time of need and if we look back three years in reality what we know is that if the gospel stories tell us anything it's that the, the disciples although they're called and they're following Jesus they're spending time with him in a way that it's unique and powerful they still don't get it when Jesus comes to those critical moments asking those critical questions their answers seem to be very lost lost largely in their expectations of what the Messiah would be according to their culture and their time and where they lived, not according to what Jesus was projecting the hope of the Messiah to be. Jesus changes everything. Somebody say amen. He makes all the difference. Paul is another one of those people that, change thing, that things change for because of his experience of Jesus. In Acts chapter 6, we're going to read some verses from there, so you may want to go on and turn your, your Bibles there at this time. In Acts chapter 26, Paul is giving a speech to the regional uh, Roman governor and also to the, uh, the, the local king, Herod, Herod Agrippa at that time, and the person who had rule kind of more from a civil perspective as opposed from the national uh, Roman perspective. Paul gets to speak to them. And in his speech, he doesn't kind of try to pull any punches. You know exactly who I am. I am the guy who grew up to be the head Pharisee of all head Pharisees. And, and that was the group of people who wanted the word of God and wanted to hold on to the, the power of what God had said and his revealed word in the Old Testament. They were many of them people who had memorized entire huge sections of Scripture. They lived lives that were very actively pursuing the idea of the purity that God called them to. And Paul was chief among them. He was someone who, who made it his goal to do everything that he could, including, and this is really critical, Paul is so zealous for God and for the traditions of his fathers that when people start proclaiming that Jesus has been raised from the dead and that Jesus was the Messiah, he began to persecute them, to throw them in jail, to question them, to 
to make life difficult for them. He is said to have been at the, and, and the text says that he was standing there and giving approval when Stephen was stoned to death because he was speaking blasphemy because he was holding Jesus up. But in the same speech, and it's kind of interesting that, that the book of Acts would tell it this way, Luke tells us in chapter 9 about when Paul, that, at that time Saul, encountered Jesus in a, in a mysterious blinding light on the road to Damascus. Luke writes that story for us in chapter 9, but here in chapter 26, he wants to tell it again. Even though we, the audience who are reading the book, already know that story, he wants to reemphasize it. I was persecuting those who followed Jesus, and then Jesus came to me. And Jesus, Jesus' intersection with my life made all the difference. And these are some of the words that are part of that that message that Paul delivered to the Roman leader and to the local regional leader, uh, head of, of, of as, as important a people as there were in that time in that part of the world. Let's look at some of those excerpted verses. Paul speaking now of his accusers who are Jewish. The Jewish people all know the way I lived ever since I was a child. From the beginning of my life in my own country and also in Jerusalem. They have known me for a long time and can testify if they are willing that I conform to the strictest sect of our religion, living as a Pharisee. Again, I was doing it exactly the way people thought I should. And now it is because of my hope. A hope in what God has promised our ancestors... In other words, I, that hope points backwards that I am on trial today. This is the promise, our 12 tribes, again kind of pointing backwards, that our 12 tribes hoping to see fulfilled as they earnestly serve God day and night. King Agrippa, it is because of this hope that these Jews are accusing me. Why should any of it of you consider it incredible Here's a critical mass that God raises the dead. Keep going and skipping down to verse 22. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen. That the Messiah would suffer. As the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. At this point, Festus, who is the Roman governor, interrupted Paul's defense and says, You are out of your mind because he has been raised as a good platonic philosopher. None such thing can happen. It doesn't go on. Your great learning is driving you insane. Paul says, I'm not insane, most excellent Festus. Paul replied, What I'm saying is true and reasonable. The king, that is Herod Agrippa, is familiar with these things, and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of this has escaped his notice, because it was not done in a corner, not hidden. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to be and, and the word here is Christian, but again, the, the idea that, that the original language wants to... That I would be someone who would put my trust in Christ, that I would fought, want to follow in Jesus' footsteps, a Christian. Paul replied, short time or no, I pray to God that only, not only you, but all who are listening to me today, all who are listening to Paul's word today, may become what I am that is a follower of Christ, except he doesn't wish on us the chains that he bore. Won't you join me in prayer? Our Father and our God, we thank you for this day and that you've brought us together with this opportunity to celebrate the hope we have in Christ as Peter directed our minds. We thank you for the, the, the promise that the last page is going to be written by you. And that last page, your hope is that we will be with you for all eternity, and that we will join in that great banquet that you're preparing that we, we took just a small taste of today. Father, we want to be people who see Jesus 
as the center of our lives, that sees Jesus as the Lord of our life, that sees Jesus as the absolute foundation, as the song said, of our hope. Father, we proclaim that Jesus makes the difference. We ask your spirit to come. We ask that that spirit would help us to hear what you want to say today. I pray that nothing I do would get in the way of your message to these people. We thank you for Jesus. And it's in his name that we pray. And we all say. And now it's because of that hope. That hope that's in Jesus. The idea that Paul wants to say is, I was a different person and now I'm a new person. But that what Jesus brings forward for us is not something new that he generated. And in reality, it's a fulfillment of everything that God has been about since the creation itself. More importantly, since the fall. Since the brokenness of sin entered into the world, God has been pointing us forward to that Messiah, that special one, that anointed one who would come and make union with God that would start that process of getting us back to exactly where God wanted us to always be, which is with him, possible. Paul was convinced that the hope that the, all of the Bible of the Old Testament was pointing to was summed up in Jesus, and he wants everyone and isn't it kind of audacious to step into the greatest leaders of the lands? These are people who run things. These are people that almost with a snap of their fingers, there's some exceptions here because Roman law said that Paul could appeal to Caesar. Festus, however, is Caesar's representative. And if Festus wanted to make life difficult for Paul, if Festus wanted to be sure that Paul didn't make it out of Caesarea, Festus could simply snap his fingers and it would be done. Herod, not this Herod, uh, his, a cousin of his, was the man who, at a snap of a finger, said, John the Baptist, take his head. And John died. These are those kind of powerful people. They are not used to people telling them that they're wrong, that they've misplaced their ideals, that they somehow or another aren't the ultimate answer. They have been. The ultimate answer. And even if they know there's somebody above them. For instance, Herod couldn't have done anything really without Festus's permission. And Festus can't really do anything without um, Caesar's permission ultimately. But they are not used to being questioned. And Paul says, there's something more that you need. I also love the fact that Paul doesn't just say... I only proclaim this to the, to the opinion leaders, to the people who have power in this world. But Paul says, I will tell this to anybody because it's made that much difference in my life. To great and small, I want them to know the hope of Jesus. Jesus is the center and foundation of our hope. You sang the so song, my hope is built and I love the phrase, we don't talk this way, do we? My hope is built on nothing less. I have a, have a friend, uh, and, 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 it's, and it's common for him to cook wonderful, wonderful Italian uh, suppers, meals for us. He grew up in Italy, he knows how to cook, he's wonderful. And when he comes to your house, he always, he, it's not, what are you going to cook for me? But it's, let me cook for you. And, and whenever he's done, it's always this extravagant, it's usually two or three different kinds of pastas. You, you, you need to learn very quickly when Bruno's cooking, do not fill up on the first pasta, because there's more coming. And you, this, no one is ever treated, we don't, we, don't, we don't go out and do, it's never this good. And his phrase is, oh, oh only the minimum for you. You get the picture? This is, this is the least that I want to do for you. The song says, my hope is built on nothing less. That means that my greatest foundation, the most sure hope that I have, is Jesus Christ. Somebody please say amen. It's kind of interesting. Hope is so centered in Jesus that he doesn't even talk about it. 
Now, I have to carry you a little ways here. If you look in your Gospels and you run, maybe you go to Bible Gateway and you run a concordant search and you put the word hope in and you say the parameters are the Gospels and you run it, you're going to come up with the word hope. Hoping like a verb and then some people will talk about hope quoting the Old Testament about Jesus. But if you look more closely, and by the way, sometimes those searches will come up and when it's Jesus talking, what, what does it look? It looks a little different. It's in red, right? I'm, I'm not a big fan of red-letter Bibles. I'm not sure that we always know exactly when Jesus stops talking and starts talking uh, in the text. But when you look at those words in red, Jesus never talks about hope. There's a reason for that. Every hope had been pointing towards God's Messiah coming. Every hope, the hope that every person who decided to put their faith in God, Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, Moses, David, all of the prophets, everything they were investing in is that God was going to come and make a difference. He was going to change things. He was going to make what was broken by Adam in the garden and every sin since and make it whole. They were looking for a person called the Anointed One. Daniel called him the Son of Man. Isaiah calls him the servant or the suffering servant. But the overarching expectation was for the Messiah to come. And when Messiah came, God was among you. We're going to come to some of those statements in just a minute. I'm going to make a quick survey real fast. But I want you to understand that Jesus doesn't talk about hope because there is no hoping Hope being about something that's not realized yet. There is no hoping when Jesus is around. Jesus comes and the heavens break open and proclaim, Here he is now with you. Jesus comes and wherever he is, a little bit of God's kingdom shows up where he goes. Someone who was blind is no longer blind because kingdom has come. He's not hoping to not be blind anymore. He isn't. I love that scene where he feeds the 5,000. They're not hoping to be filled by God. God has done it. He is there among them. Jesus doesn't talk about hope because he's the fulfillment of all the hope that there is. Now we step into Acts and the books that follow Jesus' ministry and they're always pointing back to the hope of Christ. The Old Testament is pointing toward to the hope of the Messiah. But Jesus says, and this is his phrase typically, the kingdom is near, meaning it's here, right here among you. Jesus, that foundation of our hope. The gospel writers will introduce this theme in, a, in several different ways, and I'm just going to pick up a few from each of the gospels. Mark is probably the earliest of the gospels that we look at, and Mark doesn't even tell us about the birth of Jesus. He begins with John the Baptist's ministry, and then he particularly goes to Jesus' baptism. And at Jesus' baptism, there at the Jordan River, Mark will proclaim to us, this is the one in these words. The heavens were opened, the Holy Spirit descended in, in the shape of a dove, and the voice spoke. Now, Matthew will have the voice say, this is my son. A proclamation to everyone. Mark tells it this way. He speaks to Jesus. You, you're my son, you're the one. You're the one we've been looking forward to. Everything you do from here on in is going to be about my kingdom breaking into the world. You are my son whom I love. With you I'm well pleased. Matthew, we turn the page, and whether you want to argue that Matthew is later than Luke, I, I'm not for us to here to discover, but Matthew tells of his birth story. And Matthew will talk about the birth of Jesus, but mostly what he does, he doesn't necessarily talk about all the details surrounding the birth. What he does is he says, see how Jesus' coming is a fulfillment of prophecy. And so he quotes Isaiah, who says, and they will call him the one that is to come, who is Jesus, who's about to be born, Emmanuel. And just to be sure that his audience doesn't miss it at all, he says Emmanuel means God with us. It's not that we're hoping God will come. 
It's not that we're trusting that God is going to intervene in the situation. It's that he has in the person of Jesus. Luke wants to tell a few more details about the story. Luke wants to give us some background. So Luke literally goes back and tells us about the, when, when John was conceived and when John was born and speaks to Mary. And we, we have this conversation as Mary is, is visited by the angel. And this is what the angel says. You'll be with child. You're going to give birth to a son. And we talked about this a few weeks ago. And you will call him God saves. Jesus and Joshua. You will call him by the name God saves. And he will be great. And he will be called the son of the most high. This is all language that points towards Messiah. The Lord will give him the throne of his father. So the language points and now the object, the illustration. Give him the throne of his father David and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And then this is specifically fulfilling Old Testament words. And his kingdom will never end. I want to be sure you understand that it isn't just about the idea that it's going to go all over the world. It's that it fills up all of time. The kingdom that we'll find in Jesus is a fulfillment of everything we've hoped for. The kingdom that we see that Jesus inaugurated is what we look forward to it being completed. And let me just be real honest. I'm hoping it's completed in my lifetime. I hope I'm alive when the trumpet sounds and the new inauguration of the kingdom of God where God is with his people and his people are with him comes during my lifetime lifetime. Luke is pointing towards Jesus as that fulfillment. John will do it without telling the birth story, but in reality John tells the story from a cosmic perspective. From the very beginning Jesus was there with God. He helped create the world and nothing has been made that wasn't made with, with him being part of it. And he says this, the word became flesh and made his, you might circle that in your text if you find it, his dwelling among us. Behold, John the Baptist will say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. Two words here that are important. One is that the word became flesh and he dwelt with us. You need to understand that the word that's used there is very specific. It talks about setting up a place where God comes that can move around. In the Old Testament, it was called a tabernacle. Say that word with me, tabernacle. Uh, Donna Marie and Robin in their class with the third, fourth, fifth graders, uh, every couple of years, we'll, they all make a tabernacle and they bring them out and we see them and, and it, and there's all these details about the, what the tabernacle was like. But mostly, what the tabernacle was for was for there to be a place on earth where man could walk in the front door and God's, in reality, kind of his foot, just the, just the tip of his toe, touched the earth. A place where they came together. John says, the word became flesh and became the place where God and man meet. And if that's not enough, we turn the page, and John the Baptist, it seems almost unsolicited, but if you didn't get it with John's use of the word tabernacle, dwelled with us, John the Baptist says, this is the Lamb of God. This is the sacrifice that makes it possible for us to walk in the front door of the tabernacle. So he is not only the place where God and man meet, but he is the means by which they come together. There is no greater hope than Jesus. So what can I do? And, and by the way, I would guess that most of you in this audience are saying, yeah, 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 I, Jesus, Jesus got it, Jesus is the hope. But how do we bring Jesus more and more into the center of the hope of our life? And I just have some quick suggestions, and then I'll get down and get out of the way. First of all, 
It is my hope that if we're going to be people who are centering our hope on Jesus, that all our conversations every day need to have a little bit of Jesus language in them. And by the way, I don't mean by that cursing in Jesus' name. You know what I mean. Do I have to say it? Good, okay. Instead, this is a person that I have a relationship with. And, and as much as I want to talk about, well, last week we could talk proudly about the Texans. I'm not sure that that's the case anymore. But, but as much as I want to talk about, and, and just a few months ago we could talk proudly about the Astros, and now I don't have anything. You talk proudly about where you live. You talk proudly about your family. You talk proudly about your job. You talk, you, you're willing to engage with people in lots of things. But my question is, does your conversation... And, and, and by the way, you come on Sunday and say, I talk about Jesus all the time on Sunday. But do we talk about Jesus as if he means something to us, something important to us on a daily basis? And maybe, maybe the way it comes up is that someone uses Jesus as, as kind of a, a slang or a curse word. We say, you know what, that's a friend of mine. I wish you wouldn't use his name that way. That'd be courageous. But it would just put one more way. You might just monitor it to see, do you talk about Jesus? Other than your prayers before meals. Other than when you... Send a text message to a brother or sister in Christ. Do you talk about Jesus anywhere other than those isolated places with other Jesus people? And if not, do we need to center Jesus a little bit more in the middle of our lives and as the foundation of our hope? Centering my hope in Jesus. I want to encourage you. I'm hoping that you're people who read from the Bible daily. I'm hoping that you open it up and, and have some sort of schedule and, and systematic way in which you're reading from the Bible on a daily basis. I think it's very important if we, if we want to be engaged in what God wants us to do for that to be the case. But what I want to encourage you is there is a richness in reading from the Gospels. Now, please don't hear me say, does the book of Genesis point forward to Jesus? Does the message from 1 and 2 Samuel about David and the kingdom point forward to Jesus? Does the, the, the prophecy of Isaiah and Jeremiah and Ezekiel point forward to Jesus? The answer is yes. And, then, and now let's go forward. Does the book of Revelation point to Jesus? Does the book of Acts and the book of Romans point, talk about Jesus? Yes, it's all true. But if Jesus is going to be that foundational place, we need to spend a little time in those four wonderful books. Isn't it awesome? that God chose to preserve for us four different ways of talking about Jesus and shouldn't, at least, maybe the count should be at least one ever four verses that I read ought to somehow or another, passages that I read ought to go back to the Gospels. There are reading systems that you can pick up on the internet and if you, if you have a hard time finding one, please send me a text message, I can send you one. It'll let you spend time in the Old Testament in the epistles, the letters that follow the prophets, and in Jesus every single day, in the Gospels every single day. It'll fill you in a way that's quite remarkable. Number three. Hasn't it been wonderful to come together and sing these songs in celebration and worship to God today? Amen? Celebrating my hope in Jesus, though, can't be contained by Sunday mornings, can it? By the way, that doesn't need, mean that you need to walk into Bucky's singing, My hope is built on nothing less. But it might be that you hum a tune. Maybe a tune that you get from KSBJ, maybe from some other song. Maybe it's... The sound of words that you read from a gospel. You are my child and I love you. And you I'm well pleased. How does that celebration continue? And how are we to put Jesus in the center of our lives and our hope if the celebration that blesses us so much here on Sunday mornings doesn't go with us wherever we go? 
Center that hope in Jesus. Again, the invitation is not the idea that, that we want you to come and get some, some brokenness in your life straightened out because we all have brokenness. It's not that you need something more, so come join our little social club. The invitation, for me, every moment of every day, God calls to me and I hope I respond. The invitation is Christ. And how can he change your life? So last week I talked about the fact that our hope is not a what, it's a who, right? And it's Jesus. But I want to also want to say that Jesus gives a great what am I hoping for in who he is. I am hoping for kingdom to come. And Jesus said it this way when he taught us to pray. I'm wanting kingdom to come on earth as it is in heaven. Right here, right now. I'm asking you to come to Jesus. And that may not mean that you need to take a step. And it doesn't have to mean that today becomes the great decision where I give my life to Christ in the waters of baptism. But I invite you to take one more step closer to the reality of the hope of Jesus. Won't you come as we stand and as we sing? Something beautiful, something express my <coughs> appreciation to the visitors for uh, being here this morning and we have a uh, gift for you if you could just hold up your hand and someone will be about to bring you a small to token of our appreciation a um, couple of uh, announcements here Zane Lee asked me to uh, make mention of his brother-in-law Don Mullins in Albuquerque uh, is back in the hospital and is not doing well having some heart and kidney issues and so we want to keep him in our prayers. Um, let's not forget our life groups. I want to once again make mention of them. We, uh, if you, we have several scattered around, various times, various places. So hopefully one of them will meet you and will will work for you. And uh, we want to encourage you to attend one of those. Um, I've been kind of bringing a few little mini lessons about prayer itself. There's basically four aspects that I find in our prayers, uh, worshiping, honoring, praising, and glorifying God through our prayers, uh, thanking God for everything, uh, making our requests known to God, and the fourth one is confessing to God, probably not one that we do all that often. Uh, I'd like to uh, make mention of Daniel, a uh, tremendous character person in the Bible, uh, referred to as a highly esteemed of heaven. Uh, I could go on and on for, with Daniel for a long time, but I'm not going to. Uh, we see in Daniel chapter 9 where he is offering a prayer, and I encourage you to read Daniel chapter 9. 
And he goes in there and he says, as I was confessing my sins and the sins of my people, an angel came to him and gave him an answer. And he's, that's where he's addressed him as highly esteemed of heaven. And so we see a great example there of uh, confessing. Sometimes Jesus, uh, people will try to justify themselves by saying that, you know, Jesus accepted sinners. Uh, while Jesus associated with everybody, who he accepted was repentant sinners, from the thief on the cross to the woman, the sinful woman who washed his feet with her tears, dried his feet with her, her hair, and anointed him with perfume that in today's dollars would be worth tens of thousands of dollars. Uh, the, Jesus gives the example of the man who was prideful and said, God, I thank you, I'm not like other sinners, as opposed to the man who wouldn't lift his eyes up to heaven and beat himself and said, Lord, be merciful to me, a sinner. Those are the types of people uh, that Jesus accepted. So as I uh, go to our Father in prayer, I would like to incorporate some confession. I'm going to read a prayer that a man uh, delivered to the Kansas Assembly in 1996 to open it. It may sound familiar to you. I've used it before. If it does sound familiar, good. That means you were listening. I appreciate that. So uh, if there's nothing further, if you'll join me in prayer. Our Heavenly Father, as we come before you, we just ask that our hearts are, are bowed before you, that our, our lips are filled with service and, and humility as we praise and honor and glorify your name. You have created the world. And when we sinned, you sent your Son to redeem us. And Lord, we just want to uh, honor you, to love you, and to spread that message throughout the world that Jesus has come for our sins. And Lord, as we uh, uh, realize our weaknesses, our failings, uh, we just want to uh, ask you to forgive us of our sins. Uh, Lord, just ask that we could confess our sins to you, conf confess our sins to each other, uh, Lord, as your people, we have not always allowed our light to shine before men. We have not always kept your word uh, as the gospel. We have not loved our brothers and sisters as we should. We have allowed petty disagreements to divide us, to, to prevent us from being united as Jesus prayed. Uh, we have not loved the lost. We have refused to forgive others as we want to be forgiven. And our Heavenly Father, we just pray for our nation. We come before you to seek your favor, to seek your guidance and your direction. You said woe to those who call evil good, but that is exactly what we have done. We have lost our spiritual equilibrium, reversed our values, and we confess that. We have ridiculed the absolute truth of your word and called it pluralism. We have worshipped other gods and called it multiculturalism. We have, we have endorsed every type of sexual perversion, adultery, fornication, uh, sex with children, sex with animals, and called it a lifestyle. We have uh, perverted the, in, we have exploited the poor and called it the lottery. We have rewarded laziness and called it welfare. We have killed the unborn and called it a choice. We have shot abortionists and called it justifiable. We have neglected to discipline our children and called it building self-esteem. We have abused power and called it politics. We have coveted our nation's, our neighbor's possessions and called it ambition. We have polluted the air with profanity, pornography, and called it freedom of expression. We have ridiculed the time-honored values of our forefathers and called it enlightenment. Search us, God. Cleanse our hearts of every sin. Let us repent and turn to you for guidance. Lord, here I am. Send me. It's in your son's name I pray. Amen. You would please let's stand. We'll close out today with one verse of victory in Jesus. <clears throat> I heard an old, old story, how a Savior came from glory, how he gave his life on Calvary to save a wretch like me. I heard about his groaning, of his precious blood's atoning. Then I repented of my sins and won the
Amen. Go with it.